0: Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A few weeks ago, I was with Paula, my wife, and our friend Muhammad in a place called Um Kais, which is at the very north of Jordan, and it's known for being at the site of Gadara, or uh, sometimes known as the, the land of the Gerasenes that we heard read in our gospel text today. And as we were there and we were exploring the ruins and enjoying our uh, company with one another, We also looked out across this amazing expansive view that looked out over the Yarmouk Valley and the Golan Heights into Syria and into Lebanon and then through the the desert haze you could just see the Sea of Galilee and and Capernaum and all these other sites that are known throughout the Gospels but but present there in that space and in that place that day was also the knowledge that these were disputed borders lands that had seen conflict, where bridges had been destroyed, ruins bombed, and people had died on that soil as people fought between Palestine and Israel and Jordan and Syria and Lebanon. And now, today, they look across these borders and they see each other on the other side, still with fear and with loathing and sometimes with hate. Gadara was a member of the Decapolis, or this this land of the Gerasenes that we heard in the Gospel text. There's a group of 10 cities on the eastern frontier of the Roman Empire in the southeastern Levant in the first centuries before and after Christ. The cities formed a group because of their shared Greek language and their Hellenized culture, geographic location, and their kind of semi-autonomous city-state status. The Decapolis was a center of Greek and Roman culture in the region, which was otherwise populated by Semitic peoples, like the Nabataeans or the Arameans or the Judeans, from which Jesus came. Gadara itself was a center of Greek culture in the region, considered one of the most Hellenized spots in the Decapolis. And while there was evidence of Jewish communities in these cities, it seems clear that in this area it was considered pagan by Jews of Jesus' day. At its core, Hellenism was humanism. It glorified human beings above all other creatures and portrayed the human body as the ultimate in physical beauty. Truth could be known through the human mind, and pleasure was a crucial goal in life. The majestic Romanized forms of Hellenistic architecture and sculpture must have seemed harmless enough in some ways, but its temples glorified the excesses of pleasure. And so the religious Jews of Galilee struggled against this worldview and viewed the Decapolis on the other side of the Sea of Galilee as a place full of excess and sin, paganism, and impurity. It was foreign, dangerous, and different. It was a place where good Jewish boys and good Jewish girls were not supposed to go. And here, in our gospel text for today, Jesus has taken his disciples to this other side. Literally, the Decapolis was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, east of the River Jordan. And in the section of Luke that precedes our passage this morning, we hear that Jesus got into a boat, most likely from their home base in Capernaum, on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, and said, let's go across to the other side of the lake this would sound like a risky and terrible idea to the disciples. After all, this is the other side of Hellenism and Hedonism, of paganism and impurity. And, to none of their surprise, the trip got off to a very rocky start. As they're sailing across the sea, a great windstorm whipped up the boat, and they began to take on water. Afraid they were going to sink and drown into the depths of the sea, popularly known as the Abyss, In Jesus' day, the place where souls and bodies went after death, literally hell in the minds of his disciples, they call on Jesus and he saves them from the depths of the abyss, the very depths of hell. Having survived this scare, they now arrive on the other side, and their expectations of impurity and paganism are soon met. In Mark, it says that when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him and his disciples, a man with an unclean spirit. Luke goes on to say, for a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. Tombs, we should note, were considered ritually unclean. Not only that, but this man doesn't just have an unclean spirit, but a legion of demons residing within him. The name Legion had a double devilish meaning for the disciples. Literally, it means many, or thousands, or multitudes, but it also alludes to the occupying Roman soldier legions, which numbered between 3,000 to 6,000 each. Many Israelites felt the Roman legions were another form of demonic occupation, all on their own. And to make the demon-infested naked man skulking around in a cemetery in a foreign land situation worse, <laughs> there is also, naturally, a herd of pigs there which were also considered unclean. So to recount, you've got an unclean land and a naked man with an unclean legion of demons who has been living among the tombs and there is a herd of unclean pigs nearby. Of course, thought the disciples. You come to the other side and this is exactly what you get. A bunch of debased and dirty debauchery, danger and depravity. If you come to this place and hang out with these people, this is what you should expect, Jesus. They have so much to teach this man. (laughs) This is, in short, the very last place Jesus or his followers should be. The very last place and people Jesus and his followers should be hanging out with. Which, when you think about it, is usually exactly where God shows up. But perhaps unexpectedly, the legion of demons recognizes Jesus. Here, among foreign demons and a foreign man in a foreign land, Jesus is known and feared. And he has authority over this place, these people, and these powers. And with that authority, Jesus casts the legion of demons into that herd of pigs nearby, thus inventing the first-ever deviled ham recipe. I love telling that joke. (laughs) And then the pigs run into the sea, the abyss, the depths of hell that the disciples had just passed over and barely survived coming through. And the message of this legendary exorcism spreads throughout the countryside. Now, even though the disciples had seen the power Jesus had over demons and diseases by this time, they were still shocked, taken aback by what he'd just done. It was not what Jesus did that surprise them. But where and for whom? Now, while many commentators and preachers focus on the liberation of the demon-possessed man, the meaning of casting the pigs into the depths of the abyss, or share notes on the best deviled ham recipes around in the second century, this morning, I want to focus on the other demons Jesus was exercising in this passage. Those residing in his own followers. The feelings of revulsion and aversion that the disciples had for the other side, we might today call xenophobia. Literally an intense or irrational dislike or fear of people from other places. From the Greek of Jesus' day, this is literally fear, phobos, of the stranger, the other, xenos. A product of their time, the disciples feared the Decapolis because it represented the foreign and the strange and the different and the impure, it was an alien place full of alien people, and it had always been so. This place on the other side was a place to be feared. And at first, it, it seems that all their fears are founded in reality. The storm, the tomb, the demon-infested naked man lurking in the cemetery, the herd of pigs. But, but then, their fears are still, like the stormy sea, as Jesus shows that he not only has power in this place, but compassion for it and its people as well. It is said that in any time, in any place, there are demons to fear. There are those things and people and ideas that we prefer to keep in shackles and under guard, but they have an annoying tendency of breaking loose. In our world today, there is an increasing and intensifying and irrational fear of the other. Over the 20th and 21st centuries, time and space continue to be compressed in an age of hyperdiversity and the increasing movement of ideas and religions and technologies and currencies and politics and power and people across the globe. No matter the policies we propose or, or the walls we seek to build within our hearts and our minds or along borders and boundaries, we cannot escape the other. The other is next door. The other is our coworker, or the person who checks us out at the grocery store. We do business with the other. We commute alongside the other. We, do, we go to war with and against the other. And we encounter the other in our daily lives. We no longer have to get in a boat or a plane or whatever to encounter the other or go to the other side. Instead, the other fills our television screens or internet browsers or answers the telephone when we call for help when these forms of technology stop working. The other side is down the street. The other is not just our metaphorical neighbor, but our literal next-door neighbor. The other side is just outside our front door. Also there, just outside our front door, is Jesus, knocking, and calling on his followers to love thy neighbor, to love thy homeless neighbor, thy black neighbor, thy imprisoned neighbor, thy addicted neighbor, thy possessed neighbor, thy immigrant neighbor, thy Jewish neighbor, thy Christian neighbor, thy atheist neighbor, thy Muslim neighbor. Yes, there is Jesus bidding us to join him in the boat and to cross over to the other side, And see that there, yes, even and especially there, he is at work bringing liberation and bringing hope and bringing peace and every once in a while making deviled ham. And in that move of Jesus, as he invites us to join him in having compassion on the other and going to the other side to love and to serve, to bring greetings of peace and tidings of joy, he is not only promising that they will be liberated and set free from the demons that they face. But that there, on the other side, we will be set free as well. Set free from our many failures, our many foibles, and our many faults, and our many irrational fears of the other, no matter who that might be. The invitation of the gospel this morning is this. Jesus is at work in this world, across, within, and at the borders that we have built and continue to reinforce in our hearts and minds and in the work of our hands. He is at work among the other, and he is at work among us, bringing freedom and life and peace. The challenge this morning, however, is that we would lean into the opportunities presented for us to join him in this work of love and liberation, that we, freed from our irrational fears and unjust hate. Of the other by the perfect and limitless power of Jesus, would not let our love stop before it gets to the other side, but instead let it fester and grow and bear fruit in our interactions with those whom we at first may fear. I was thinking about this as I looked out from the hills of Um Nkais over the Yarmouk Valley, the demilitarized zone between Israel and Jordan the Sea of Galilee, and beyond the Golan Heights, where the very day we were visiting, Israel had dropped bombs upon Syrian installations. The fear of the other, the animosity between us and them, has always plagued humanity. It's true. We have a long and perhaps impossible road to bait out our swords into plowshares. But that doesn't mean we should not. In following Jesus and being liberated by him along the way, seek to lean into the love of the other that is promised to come in full. When Jesus takes his final journey to come to restore the earth, establish his everlasting kingdom, and bring abiding healing to all the nations, no matter which side they are on. Amen.